Hello, everyone. Welcome to Laser Focus. This is the deep dive pop culture podcast from Nerdist. Uh, my name is Kyle Anderson, and this week begins our journey into spooky times. Oh, the spooky times. We call it Nerdoween because we all work at Nerdist and no other reason. Um, but it's October, which means that we are going whole hog into the horror movie and horror thing uh, category. Hopefully you enjoyed my rambly bonus episode from earlier in the week. Um, and hopefully you found some Italian horror movies to enjoy. This episode, you are in luck. You do not have to only endure my voice alone. You get to listen to me talk to somebody else about horror movies. Uh, he's a returning champion, been on the show before. He's a writer, producer, and sometimes host of Nerdist videos. It's Adam Murray. Hey, Adam. Hello. How are you? Hello. It's me, Hello. the Venture Brothers guy. I'm back. <laughs> he's back, baby. <laughs> Um, Adam and I've made videos together for the last few years. Um, and we always seem to veer toward horror. Um, at least I would say one out of every three videos we do. I don't know if it's that high, but, um, we always tend to at, at the very least talk about horror movies when we're yeah. not, when we're getting together to film. So it seems like a perfect opportunity for us to talk about, um, weird horror movies. And, and this one, this week we're going to talk specifically about we're I guess we're calling them like underseen horror movies, movies we, uh, think more people need to have, uh, check out um, in the horror genre. There's, you know, we both are, we each are going to do five are, mm. uh, are in, in no particular order, but we're going to uh, basically, they're just five movies that we enjoy that we think people ought to see more of. Um, and so I'm really looking forward to talking about that. We watched each other's lists, the ones that we hadn't seen before. So that was also pretty I mean, fun. I, mean, I, I watched a few. There's still a few of your, on your list that I still oh, okay. watch. So I, I went obscure. I went obscure for sure. <laughs> I um, thought I went with like a, like I went with a little kind of like a uh, few small indie ones. And then Kyle came back with uh, some truly deep cut Italian horror. That's <laughs> like, my, that's my bag. <laughs> I should have known. Like I should have yeah. been expecting that. Of course, I I am who I am, and that's all that I am, and I that's a quote from Popeye. Um, but of course, before we get into that, we got to do the nerdy nine. It's only the thing that we do that that nobody else cares about. The but teams me. are losing it for the nerdy nine. It's sweeping the Denver area. They're knocking over record shops. <laughs> so, Adam, please, other than number two, which you picked last time, please pick a number between one and nine. I'll go with four. Number four. Okay. What is your favorite meal? <laughs> so this could be your favorite meal you've ever eaten. It could be your favorite go-to meal. Uh, you can be a food nerd. That's yeah, that's the point I, of all these questions. Is that's like, what I don't want to, because I am a huge food nerd. I don't want to give like too much where people think that I'm incredibly pretentious. <laughs> now nah, people get into that stuff. What's, do you have like, when you think back of like, oh, the best I'll, restaurant I'll I ever been to, or something like that? Yeah, the we there's a place here in LA that we, me and my partner, really love called Manuela. But if I had to think, I'm just gonna go with a really weird niche reference one, <laughs> niche reference, a niche food pick. Um, uh -huh. For people who may live in New Jersey who listen to this, uh, I've been Wawa. really, I've been, I've man. Man, I would kill. I would kill a, a not popular uh, terrorist, domestic terrorist, for a for a Wawa. <laughs> I'm just hedging my bets for what people would be like. No, that's fine for a Wawa in LA. Yeah. No, I understand. I'm the goofiest sure. judge in the world. Uh, 
the uh but no i've been really craving a, a burrito called a buffalo soldier which is from a restaurant that only exists in new jersey uh mm. specifically in like ocean county called surf taco Okay. Uh, which one of the, which they're owned and one of them was owned and operated by uh, one of my high school teachers uh, growing up. But no, it's just it's it's just lightly like uh, breaded chicken tossed in buffalo sauce with coleslaw and rice wrapped in a burrito. It's and blue cheese. It's so simple. Oh, wow. But it's just something like I've been I guess it's because I don't know how to like fold a burrito properly. And every. I, yeah. I it's will say that, that... <laughs> you go. Go ahead. <laughs> I was merely going to say the first time that I got a, uh, it wasn't so in in Colorado there there, that's where Chipotle started, but oh, I didn't know that. Um, uh, the first time I had a burrito like that was at a uh, like a one off, maybe even just two off in Boulder, Colorado, and on on and around the CU campus, and it was called Illegal Pete's. And that was the very first time I ever got a burrito that was like full of rice and stuff. And then they did that, you know, the patented folding, you know, Mm -hmm. the big giant. And I was just like obsessed ever since. Um, So it is a life changing thing because up until then, I just kind of rolled burritos when we had them at home. You know, (laughs) like roll and hope it doesn't fall out the bottom. You just squeeze the bottom real tight. And I'm talking about, I mean, you know, I hate to bring whatever. Uh, we call them white people burritos nowadays because it's like <laughs> just refried beans, hamburger, and cheese, and that's yes, basically that's exactly. what eat on a on a plain tortilla. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so anyway, it must yeah. have been a similar situation for you. The it was, yeah, it was just a very simple, uh, and they have great like tacos and everything there because I grew up in a beach town, so we have good fish and everything. But it was mm. just I've been it's it's my my fear of not being able to fold a burrito properly has kind of kept me from making it. So maybe I'll attempt it this week. I don't know. Yeah. It's, and you gotta, you gotta make sure that you have a stretchy enough, um, tortilla that it's not yeah. going to split. That's the main and problem. Getting a tortilla. That's not like in a bag at a restaurant, like or at a store <laughs> on a regular day is easier if you live in LA, but it's also if yeah. I'm just going out, you never really see them much places, but no. like that you can just snag one. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's my, my favorite meal. I'll just say as a, as an honorable mention, I'll give it to the Buffalo soldier from surf taco in ocean County, New Jersey. Uh, I love it. And shout out to illegal Pete's. I know about you from the Grawlix guys. So that's a shout oh, yeah. out. To <laughs> sure. There we go. My two, my two, my one of my three reference points about uh about Colorado. Well, that's hey. The other any any excuse to talk about burritos, I think, is a good one. It's it's the guys who are in Grolix comedy, illegal Pete's, and the horse that killed its creator. <laughs> those are my those yep. are my three uh, ten poles of Colorado knowledge. Oh boy, if you want to go down a fun rabbit hole, folks, and by fun I mean wild uh look at all the conspiracy theories about the denver international airport Mm -hmm. because there are millions of them one of which is that the giant um uh bronco that is bucking uh with red eyes uh is somehow possessed by the devil and killed his owner or its creator and all this stuff which is actually true but yeah 
Well, not the possession part, but the not fact the that they did kill, they kill the guy who made it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that dovetails very nicely into us talking about scary horror movies. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, we each picked five. We're going to kind of just talk about them. Um, and, and and I'm sure other movies will come up. As, oh, yeah. There were definitely yeah. some movies um, based on the stuff. Well, the, the one movie that was on your list that I hadn't seen that I watched yesterday i was i was thinking about some other movies that while we were talking about that so i'm sure ostensibly it'll be 10 recommendations but you'll get some more out of this you'll get so some more. yeah um you... so what why don't you begin pick uh, just any I'll, any old sure. one that you want yeah i'll start with one that people will probably if if you're a film person will probably be like that's not un, a not uh, unheard of uh horror movie but i Every time I bring it up, there's at least even in groups of people who watch a lot of movies and horror movies, a lot of people have not seen Exorcist three. Um, which if you're if you didn't know there was an Exorcist two, there is. You can skip it. It's very bad. Oh yeah, uh, even though it's like canonically like it happens right after the first Exorcist movie, uh, you can completely skip it. William Friedkin is not involved whatsoever. I forget who even directed Exorcist uh... two. That one was uh, um, John Borman. Oh, Excalibur, John Borman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, good director, bad movie. Um, yeah, very much. We also did Zardoz. He's just a weird guy. Good director, uh, good movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I love Zardoz. Uh, but yeah, Exorcist 2, The Heretic, I believe it's called. Uh, you can skip entirely. Yeah. Exorcist 3 has so much going in it that I love. It has... I don't want to. I don't know how much we should say about uh, the movies we're talking about uh, without giving we can give basic planning. premises. And I think that, like you know, it was, since the idea of this is that we're like recommending, um, obviously, some people listening to this will have seen some, if not even all, of these movies. But we do want to kind of make it um, accessible for people who have not seen yeah. it. So um, you can give a basic premise um, and kind of you know, because it was made. Um, William Peter Blatty wrote and directed that. He's the guy who did the, the yes. book. He, yeah, um, he wrote, the book is originally called, so he's the, William Peter Blatty, who wrote uh, the book that was adapted into The Exorcist, also wrote a book called Legion, uh, which is what The Exorcist 3 was adapted from. So he has only directed two movies. Uh, actually, he has since passed, um, but Exorcist 3 and The Ninth Configuration are the only two movies this guy has made, and both are so good and so cool and so weird. Yeah, completely agree. Uh, and it's kind of a shame that he didn't direct more. Um, no, Exodus 3 picks up with... It's still in the continuity of... It's very weird that there is a, an Exorcist cinematic universe with continuity to... From, <laughs> That's uh, true. Now. <laughs> like, uh, in, in Exorcist 3, uh, George C. Scott giving an incredible George C. Scott performance, which means he's grumbling and angry and yelling uh yep. throughout the entire movie it's just like different levels of of grumpy old man uh that are either at a complete high 10 or nowhere below a five uh <laughs> he's only got that range but it's always good he he plays the he plays uh detective kinderman who is the cop that you see in the first exorcist movie that's talking uh with the priests um but it's they recast and they brought in a, like a bigger name actor to play Kinderman, who's George G. Scott, and he starts uh, 
I also think Lei J. Cobb Sorry, I got lost away, the last body of Trill. Who? Oh yes, uh, I believe he had. Yeah. Um, yeah. So for... it wasn't necessarily like got to get a bigger name, but I, I yeah. do think. No, that no, no, but no. George C. Scott is an excellent. If you're going to get somebody to replace Lee J. Cobb, I think George C. Scott's the way yes, to go. Yes, that's a great, fantastic replacement. Uh, but he plays a detective who uh, was one of the lead investigators during the. Uh, serial killings of a serial killer known as the Gemini Killer, uh, who the Gemini Killer had said that he, during his, uh, when he had been interviewed in his letters, had said that he was possessed by some kind of demon. And now more killings have started popping up that mimic the same killings that the Gemini Killer had done years prior. And there turns out to be a criminal in solitary confinement in a local prison who is claiming to be the Gemini killer who is played by Brad Dorif. Uh, and it's just this incredible, so much of the movie is just this back and forth between Brad Dorif and George C. Scott. That is, it, it's, I, I, I don't want it, to, it's for, for two guys sitting in a locked room, there's so much tension and angst and just great, chops back and forth between them and also jason miller who mm. played father Karras in the first exorcist movie who is also in this uh and i won't say much more about the storyline really because then it starts to give away a bit more but yeah uh, yeah man. it's it's got a lot of really great surrealist imagery which is another thing that's in the ninth configuration the ninth mm-hmm. configuration is sort of like it touches on a lot of the same themes as these, the exorcist and exorcist three do, but it's, it's much more kind of just a straight drama. Um, Mm. but it does have some weird surrealist elements. This one is just like, it's balls to the wall. I hate to use that phrase, but like, it's really, really weird and interesting. Um, and there are some dream sequences that are maybe not dream sequences that are just like absolutely, um, beautiful, but also just like so strange. Um, Uh, and it's featuring, Featuring weird cameos of uh, an early Samuel L. Jackson cameo. He's dubbed. Uh, oh, yeah. And then, and then also cameos uh, by Fabio and uh, New York Knicks uh, strong forward Patrick Ewing. Yeah. And this was 1990. So it's like he, that was in prime is like Patrick, Ewing Patrick Ewing. Ewing. Yeah. This is like, <laughs> like, like this is pre-Space Jam Patrick Ewing. Uh but yeah, he plays he plays an angel. Him and Fabio both play angels in what may be a vision of heaven or the afterlife. In uh, mm-hmm. according to the the brain of this detective, the the thing I do uh, one thing that's not a spoiler that I love in this movie is it has so much old guy dialogue. Oh, for sure. So much like the main leads in this movie, no one is under like fifty <laughs> except for like Brad Dorif. <laughs> Nobody in this movie is is like. 35 like nobody in this film is like a a younger person except maybe the actress who plays the daughter in the one scene right but you get a lot of you get a lot of uh there george c scott and i think it's ed flanders who plays uh father who plays father dyer uh just have such great back and forth like the joke about the or the story about the carp in the bathtub (laughs) at the beginning of the movie i think is so funny where just george c scott's recounting how his mother-in-law is in town and wants to make carp for dinner but it has to be served fresh so there's just a live carp swimming back and forth in their bathtub 
<laughs> and George C. Scott talking to a priest at a movie theater he goes, I can't go home, Father, because I'm pretty sure if I go into that bathroom and see that carp, I'll shoot it. <laughs> and just like jokes like that where Father Dyer's in the hospital and he's like, you can't smoke in here. Die like your brother. My brother died in Vietnam. Just <laughs> jokes. Those are like just really great old guy zingers at each other that, <laughs> that I love. It's like that taking of Pelham 1, 2, 3. Yeah. Like anything like that. Oh, love, love just a bunch of grumpy old guys who look like they drive cabs dealing with the most tense situations you could imagine. Um, can I do my George C. Scott impression impression yeah. for you? So I only, I do a, a George C. Scott impression from this movie specifically, and I'm going to push the microphone away because he, ha- I have to do it loud because that's <laughs> the way he does it. But this is the best line of dialogue ever delivered. And if you know George C. Scott, he was in a bunch of things, but he's also in that hardcore movie meme that is where he screams, stop, turn it off. Um, uh, so here, here's George C. Scott in Exorcist 3. It is not in the file. That's exactly the, that's exactly the impression I thought you were. Yeah. I mean, what else? It's not. And he, he slams the file. He slams the file <laughs> real hard. And it's just George C. Scott's really an amazing actor because that performance I love him. he does he does a great so much in this movie. He gets to like just on the brink of starting to cry and really turn on like the, yeah. the waterworks for this character and catches himself so many times. It's really impressive to watch. He's a very very he was such a great actor. Uh, but yeah. yeah, I wish that this movie had gotten so part of the thing about it was that it um, it is technically in the universe of the exorcist. And so yeah. that's why they wanted to call it the exorcist three. But the book Legion has no exorcism in it. And so the studio forced William Peter Blatty to add a scene uh, and an exorcist and an exorcism mm-hmm. in the movie. Yeah. And th- it's not bad. I won't say it like ruins the movie or anything like that. But if you ever get a chance to watch the kind of unfinished director's cut it's much better it's the the unfinished director's cut is much better but the only footage i've ever seen of it is like the unfinished wide oh, yeah. that they have uh uh this is not in the movie but there's a scene where the detective just comes in and shoots a character and like that's how the movie ends like it, it, that's not in the film that's not what happens but yeah it, the only footage of it is in a wide shot uh, at least that I've seen. So if you yeah. watch that scene, you just watch George C. Scott walk into a room and shoot a person, and the person goes down, and then that the movie ends. Yeah, <laughs> it's like secure. It's like security footage. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah. yeah, they the the fact that they kind of hamstrung him with making it an exorcist movie instead of having it live its own thing, and you can tell the parts if you if if you've uh, never seen it before and you watch it for the first time, you can probably tell the parts where. Oh, they probably came through with notes on this. Yeah. Because there's sections of it that feel so wildly different from what you've been seeing for the first hour of this movie. And then it's like a cut to a like a Rambo-esque kind of recruitment scene for an exorcist in a church. Like yeah. <laughs> the, the tone completely changes. It really does. It's still a good movie, and I still recommend watching it. But mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I'm going to choose a movie that I saw, um, that's only a couple years old, but I, I have now seen it, I think three times. Um, it came out in, in, so it was one of the last movies that was a casualty of the, um, the, uh, Disney buying Fox. Uh, mm-hmm. It was produced by Fox. It 
obviously that all happened during, you know, like the pandemic. And so they just kind of dumped it onto streaming. It never went to theaters. It never even got a physical media release. I think it's, I don't, I don't even know. I think it's still on Hulu. I'm not even sure where it is anymore, but it's called the empty man. Now here's when I initially saw both the title treatment for it and just the the premise, I was like, is this going to be another one of those stupid slender man ripoffs? Not (laughs) unlike a a running joke in the Nerdist offices, the bye-bye man, (laughs) the bye-bye man. Don't think it. Don't even say it. Yeah. Um, you gotta be kidding me. me. I'm the bye-bye man. Um, (laughs) That's a that's a old <laughs> bit. That's an old office now. bit. <laughs> um, but so I was like, eh. but then I heard online people talking about how it's actually it's it's much deeper than that, and it's much more interesting, and it kind of has a weird cosmic horror angle to it. Now I am a huge cosmic horror fan, uh, and so I was like, oh, I'll see what this is about, and it ends up it's like, yeah, I mean it's a it's a long movie. It's over two hours long, I believe. And it's it's a deliberate movie. But if you get past the kind of initial um, what seems like the Slender Man type of allegory stuff, it also opens like a, maybe like a 15, almost 20 minute prologue that only comes around and you understand what's going on like way at the end. But it's mm-hmm. a mystery, but it is this weird kind of, um, you know, metaphysical cosmic entity called the Empty Man that what really pushed it over for me is when the the lead detective character played by James Badge Dale, who is like searching for this girl who disappeared and all these other people got, uh, have just turned up dead because of they, you know, were chanting out for the empty man and all this stuff. It's once you find out that there's a cult that worships the empty man and not just that, but like the absence of things like the void it's just like oh i'm into that um also the movie the void it's another good one but um uh it's not particularly like bloody or violent or anything like that and doesn't you know it when i say lovecraftian you might think you know big slug creatures or whatever it's not like that Mm -hmm. but it is very weird and trippy and um gets to the heart of kind of uh apocalyptic um uh, cosmic horror that I just adore. So I would ab- have you have you seen The Empty Man? I have not yet. I'm looking. I was looking it up, and I because uh, I I've, I've known about it. it's been floating around. Uh, I, I I was struck for a moment that it's directed by David Pryor, who is not the David Pryor that I'm thinking no. of. <laughs> Different. Uh, who's directed movies like uh, Death Spa, which you should absolutely watch uh, during Halloween season. Death Spa is a fun, spooky, goofy time. Uh, but no, I haven't seen, I, it was one of those ones. I think it was kind of released maybe what was it? 2020 it was put out or, or yeah, it was like the end of the year. 2020 is when it came out. Yeah. No, and it I went directly of... to HBO max, I think. Yes. Uh, and I love James Badgedale. Yeah. Uh, uh, he's got a great head shape. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, this is one I missed and it was like this. And I've also, I missed David Bruckner's last one. Uh, oh, the night house the night house those the are night two... house is great as well i really love david bruckner stuff uh i need to catch up on a lot of a lot of the stuff that kind of got put out during 2020 that kind of just went to streaming uh because so that so much of that was happening like they're just like launching off titles like especially horror titles like mm-hmm. going just left and right onto streaming platforms um so now I gotta, I really gotta check it out though. Really you do, it's, and I, 
I just looked at it is on Hulu. If you have Hulu, mm-hmm. um, it's also rentable on prime. So highly recommend it. Um, it also has a, uh, a wild Steven root cameo. Love a Steven root cameo. <laughs> yeah, me too. So, um, who, who doesn't, you're not American if you don't. <laughs> exactly. If, if, you know you ever watched, if you ever watched a movie and Steven root has popped up and you went, Oh, this guy <laughs> movies aren't for you. Movies aren't for you. Sorry, they're not for you. You don't want Jimmy James in your movie? I don't, I don't know what to tell you. We, we have nothing to talk about. <laughs> um, yeah, so I won't talk about that one too much since you haven't seen it, but uh, I highly recommend it. So next on your list. On my list, right. I'm looking at your list. Sorry. Hold on. on my list, I went with one that uh, I had only watched for the first time last year. Uh, and became a really, uh, I just like the, I just, it's weird to say I like the vibe that it gives out, but I do throw <laughs> I love it a vibe, yeah. every now and again. Uh, but Burnt Offerings, uh, mm. Burnt Offerings starring one of my favorite actors, uh, Oliver Reed, uh, just a, a catcher's Mitch of a face with eyes, uh, Oliver Reed and his family, uh, along with their elderly nanny, I believe. Uh, mm-hmm. their, their caretaker move into it's it's kind of a classic uh, haunted house uh, movie in a way but it it comes out at a weird time in history because it comes out at 1976 I think sometime mid 70s and like it is one of the at that time more modern horror movies that was kind of bringing horror back into not the mainstream, but like as a genre was kind of reviving it and becoming more serious. And it was kind of right before the slasher craze took off because Mm. I believe black Christmas is right after, uh, burnt offerings. At least Uh, the way I believe that's correct. Or it might be the same, might be the same year. Yeah. I think I'm, I can't remember, but yeah, it's around the same time for sure. Uh, but it's just one of those movies that kind of, Got, gets lost in the shuffle of like 1970s re reinvention of horror because so much of what would come out of uh, the late 70s would just become the slasher genre and like yeah. explode but it's just this really good creepy upsetting uh haunted house movie about a family being driven mad by this i i, I feel like i don't want to give anything away about this too other than like there's uh, fantastic performances. I forget the the woman who plays the the maid that lives with them. It's Betty Davis. Oh right, yes, it is Betty Davis. Okay, God, I was like, I was looking at pictures, like that's not Betty Davis, right? Uh, just very old Betty Davis. Very old Betty Davis. Uh, an incredible performance by a, a hearse driver uh, in Burn Offerings, which mm. if, if if creepy smiles or something that that really. Uh, really upset you this movie has plenty of it it's kind of a recurring theme throughout the movie uh it's very it feels also in ways very shining like for sure it's i i I couldn't tell you i if stephen king has ever said that this movie or whatever is an inspiration i I believe the shining was written probably prior Mm -hmm. i think you're right given when the tracking stephen king's like abuse uh schedule like when his alcoholism (laughs) was really yep. kicking off before the cocaine <laughs> took over yeah uh, before he started directing maximum overdrive um no there's it's it's just this 
it's it, it kind of meanders for some parts of the movie and you're kind of always trying to pick up what's going on and then it's it, it they never really hit you over the head with too much it's all just this creeping sense of uncomfortableness and slowly watching this family unit dissolve as Oliver especially Oliver Reed who I I the one thing I couldn't stop thinking of when I first watched it is there's a pool scene where Oliver Reed is drinking cans of beer in a pool. And I was wondering how much time it took for them to get him out of the pool after drinking. What was probably <laughs> yeah. Many cans of beer. Cause you know, it was real beer and it you know, beer. exactly. Yeah. It's like, he's like, I don't need fake beer to, for this pool drinking scene. Are you kidding me? Uh, no, it's, yeah. it's, it's got it's it's an older British horror movie. And I, I I I really need to catch up on a lot more older British horror, mm-hmm. uh, like because there's so much of that. Like what uh, like Wicker Man is always a classic uh, sure. to throw on. Uh, the Valerie or Week of Wonders uh, is one I really enjoy. Um, Blood on Satan's Claw or some other. This this doesn't really fall into the line of like the English uh, folk horror as much. It doesn't. No, yeah, but it's <laughs> interestingly enough. So this one was written and directed, co-written and directed by Dan Curtis, who is the creator of Dark Shadows. Mm. Um, and uh, he uh, he made some movie. He made a really interesting version of Dracula starring Jack Palance. Um, yeah, it's a weird it's a weird version of Dracula. A lot of people really like it. Come from okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um but he was an interesting guy. He was and he also created um uh the the Night Stalker. Um Kolchak. Kolchak, yeah. Uh it wasn't his idea initially and it wasn't mm-hmm. like he didn't write it but he was instrumental in the first um Which if TV you've movie. never if you've never watched Kol- Kolchak the Night Stalker, highly recommend Kolchak the Night Stalker. It Definitely. Is- a precursor and big inspiration for the X-Files. I yeah. Think, according to Chris Carpenter himself, he said that Kolchak is like a big inspiration behind the X-Files. And it stars Darren McGavin, also known mm-hmm. as the, the dad from A Christmas Story, uh, as a reporter who ends up getting always getting into little antics and crimes with the supernatural. Yeah. This, yeah, the initial TV movie was about uh, he lives in uh, Las Vegas and there's a vampire and there's corrupt officials covering it up and mm-hmm. all this stuff. And then he moved and then there's a sequel. They were like, Hey, this one was so good. Let's do it again. And so <laughs> he moves to Seattle and there's a weird, like uh, alchemist making himself immortal. It's basically the same movie, just not a vampire. And then <laughs> that did well enough. They were like, well, Hey, let's make a TV show out of it. So it jumped networks <laughs> and then he, he moved to Chicago. <laughs> and so like in yeah. three different projects, Kolchak lives in three different cities and he's always driven out of, uh, whatever city by like the corrupt officials that he like pisses off or whatever. It's a very, I mean, I've watched all of that stuff in the last couple of years. It's actually really fun, but it's, yeah. it's very funny. It's very funny that he went to Chicago of all the places that have corrupt officials, especially during the 1970s. Yeah. He left like, Seattle to go to Chicago. <laughs> this will be easier. I can, I can definitely do. No more one's going to, no one's going to get mad at me for snooping around in Chicago. <laughs> a, a city that's never had corrupt politicians at all um burned offerings to get back to that for a second it, it is what it exists in a kind of unofficial it's only a, a, a trilogy in my head 
mm-hmm. but they're very similar types of movies. The second one of those is the Sentinel. Have you ever seen the Sentinel? I have not. It's cool. It's, it's about a high rise apartment or not even a high rise, just like an apartment building um, in the attic of which there is some sort of strange gateway and um, there are ghosts in there. And uh, uh, Burgess Meredith is also in that movie. <laughs> Um, and then the third one, get back to George C. Scott, is The Changeling. Changeling about, rules. The Changeling is amazing about a guy who moves into a haunted house um, following the death of his wife and son. And it is wonderful. Um, great. But a lot of yeah, Ooh, those chilling. late 70s kind of chilly um, kind of upper crust houses that are not. They're like old houses, but they're not so old and musty that you'd think immediately that they'd be haunted. No, but they're, they're, they're the kind of thing you're just like. If anything, something really screwed up with a grandparent happened here. Yeah, that's, right. that's the level of like age on that. But no, the changeling, another Peter Mendek. Yeah, absolutely fantastic horror movie. But yeah, I can totally see how these all fit into the the drafty and haunted house trilogy. Yeah. And that's I mean, that is absolutely my genre. And actually, I wasn't going to talk about this one next, but I think it, a good um, uh next one to talk about is uh ghost stories it is in fact a, a british ghost yes. story it was <laughs> only from a couple years ago um based on a stage play that the writer director of the movie also wrote and directed i would love to have seen the stage play because that sounds like it, apparently it did some amazing special effects for live mm-hmm. theater but it's basically a throwback to old um and uh, Adam knows this well because we did a whole video about it, but mm-hmm. the kind of uh, MR James cycle ghost stories for Christmas and the um, amicus uh, horror anthologies, which were big in the seventies um, in Britain. But basically, so there are three separate ghost stories in the movie and there's a framing story that ends up kind of being the fourth story. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's about a guy who is a skeptic who goes and basically tries to debunk spiritualism and he somebody's like hey so if you if you want real evidence go talk to these people they have you know they have their stories are not to be disbelieved and so then each of his each of those stories is its own ghost story and they each have a completely different style and a different like tone um and uh martin freeman's in it as well as as the um kind of the subject of one of the last story um really good i thought it was yeah. a, a blast and it's a really like messed up kind of you know uh dreamlike hallucinatory experience but it also harkens back to those like classic ghost chillers from the 70s like we were talking about that's the that's what i i, I there's so many horror anthologies out there right now and i don't know if it's just because i i don't like the way a lot of movies look now but it's just yeah. like uh, having something that feels, and cause you're the one who turned me on to those, uh, ghost stories for Christmas, which was a thing I did not know that British people, uh, apparently are just horny for ghosts, like all the they time. Love them. Love they them. Love, especially they, at Christmas time. Especially at Christmas time, which is the strangest thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's, uh, if there's any proof, if you ever want any proof, like how, uh, <laughs> how christian of a nation i guess america is in comparison to london or england where we came from it's like oh what's your big thing we put on ghost stories like <laughs> yeah like oh is it about is it about uh family and getting together and all this stuff uh, yeah and also ghosts we love ghosts um yeah 
that's I, that's but yeah the this is definitely up there with one of the better anthologies that are at least of the recent yeah 10 something years uh like there's a lot of there's there's like a lot of stuff out there there's a handful of good ones like mortuary collection i would say is up there too i really like that one i was kind of surprised how much i enjoyed that one yeah mortuary collection is up there but um yeah if ghosts are i feel like ghosts are a specific type of terrifying oh yeah uh, and so it's like if you're that this would be a great one especially if you have a friend who hates ghosts like this is a perfect kind of yeah halloween like it's not it's not that scary kind of movie and then just put this on for them (laughs) it's going to ruin a friendship oh yeah there's that first one which is i it's an actor i don't know but like he works in a mine or something Mm -hmm. and there's like a creepy ghost girl down in the mine i thought that one was really effective um and then like yeah so it's it's just like a, a good solid um, and I don't mean that like disparagingly, but like, it's a good, <laughs> uh, example of both a ghost story and a, uh, anthology movie and big fan of it. And shout out to Jeremy Dyson and, uh, Andy Nyman, who were the yeah. writer directors and Andy Nyman's the lead actor in it. When you say solid, you mean like, I guess what you're saying, like with anthology movies, you usually get like, say there's four in a, in a film. Yeah. You'll always get like the one. Uh, very rarely do you get like two solid ones. Uh, and if you have three, then that's always incredible. But like, for yeah. most, there's, there's kind of not a, there's not a, a, not a one that drags in this, in this batch, no. I guess. No. And actually, weirdly enough, like Dan Curtis, uh, directed a bunch of those for tv back in the 70s also and both of those only the both of the ones that i can remember seeing Mm -hmm. uh one is called trilogy of terror and one of them is called dead of night and in both of those there's only one good story each and it's the last one (laughs) um so fast forward both of them to the last story and you'll be like oh my god those are so good and it's like yeah the, the rest of the movie is a snooze but um yeah, so ghost stories. What's uh, number three on your list? Number three on my list, uh, I went with uh, one that I, again, only saw this recently, last year I think it was, and I know people had seen it way before and had been praising it for years and years and years, uh, and I thankfully never had it spoiled for me, and I'm going to try and do the same, but One Cut of the Dead mm-hmm. uh, is a personal favorite now after seeing it for the first time last year. Uh it's 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 such a it's not i i don't i don't i'm just trying to think of a way to say stuff about this movie without giving too much away um it is a beautiful little uh ode i think to making movies with your friends and people around you Mm -hmm. uh and just that feeling of getting together and doing a thing and hoping it all works out and and the chaos that ensues. Uh, and I think it's a, I think it's a, a beautiful love letter to that. I think that's a kind of a way to put it without uh, giving too much away as to what our characters are up to and what the one cut actually is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's uh if it's, it's a Japanese film that I, I, you, you take it away. You probably you definitely have a thought lined up that I can't get to. <laughs> well, it's so, yeah, it's like, um, it's, it's a, yeah, exactly what you said. It is a wonderful love letter to not just independent film, but like mm-hmm. backyard filmmaking. Yeah. Exactly. Um, 
and kind of everybody having to come together. Um, uh, I get the, let's the premise. If you haven't seen it or know mm-hmm. anything about it, I will only say it is people making a zombie movie and then a zombie movie happens. Yes. Like, so it's that, very much like, uh, you know, it's a parody of zombie movies, but also a zombie movie, uh, which is a delight. Um, and and it has twists and turns of its own and and everything but it is so like its heart is so pure that's what i mm-hmm. really loved about it and all the characters you completely side with and everything like that which is really rare for a movie like this yeah not every character i will not say <laughs> some of the characters are assholes but um they uh remade this as a french language version uh a couple oh. years ago i saw it in uh fantastic fest Fant- excuse me abort I saw it at Fantasia Fest in uh, 2022 and was kind of like, I don't know, can you really recapture it? And it is a, and it was uh, directed by Michelle Hazanavishus, who did The Artist, <laughs> you know, only, a, only an Oscar winner. Um, and yet it's, um, it somehow captures exactly what it's supposed to and also is technically a sequel to the Japanese one. It's fantastic. Huh um yeah highly recommend it one cut of the dead i think is still on shutter um and then the uh uh french language one i think it's just called cut like uh coupe it's french um I, they may have called it something else for english language but um yeah really fun fun movie that was another one i saw i think i saw that one during the pandemic and was just like oh my god this is great um we're on to me. Yes. Uh, so, uh, let's stay in Japan. Hey, we didn't even plan this and we're doing it. Uh, this is a movie that, uh, to your, uh, point, I saw only just a couple of, I think last year, um, for mm-hmm. the first time ever. Uh, and it has a very, uh, uh, evocative title for anybody yeah. who is a fan of the evil dead as as we both are it's a 1988 movie called evil dead trap it has absolutely nothing to do with the evil dead um but uh it was uh i i'm very fascinated by japanese cinema in general specifically japanese horror and even more specifically pre the ring i guess mm-hmm. japanese horror like what we consider j horror is a very specific vibe of like late 90s early 2000s yeah but, a lot of that came around probably 1999 2000s because like yeah. we, america really kind of jumped on that trend hard like it wasn't a thing where it was like five years later there was kind of all these rushes of like a lot of like i mean for some there were but like a lot of them came out kind of like almost immediately like seemed like two years after the release of an original. Yeah. Oh yeah. They were doing those. So because, because the remake of the ring, the American remake of the ring made so much money, Yeah, they were just doing it left, right and center. And even some movies that are that Japanese audiences didn't even like, uh, would get remade just because they were yeah. Japanese initially. So like, yeah, that's how you got one missed call and pulse pulse. I think is an amazing mm-hmm. Japanese movie and a God awful American movie. Like it completely yes, misses the no, point. No, the 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 Kiyoshi Kurosawa pulse in comparison to the I couldn't tell you who directed the not American for a remake of pulse. Dollars, I couldn't tell you. They're not even. They're not even in the same like the 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 realities of the magic are the 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 
setup of all the paranormal stuff is not even really the same. It's it's they they got they they it seems like the American remake of Pulse. They they heard an idea of like ghosts through electricity and through static and and technology, and then that's where they stopped and then went on with their own movie after that. Yeah, um, <laughs> which is so stupid because like the original movie, as with a lot of you know Asian um, and specifically Japanese ghost stories it's all kind of about loneliness, especially yeah. in the age of, of technology. Like that is a huge thing about like kind of the isolation of uh, living in the city and just all that stuff. That's a huge part of um, everything having to do with Japanese kind of horror. Mm-hmm. And uh, they completely were just like, what if there were ghosts in the computer? And that There's was a the ghost entire... in your phone. Uh, it's so it's stupid. Literally the forgetting Sarah Marshall joke about yeah. taking the battery <laughs> out of the phone. Uh, but no, I highly recommend Kyoshi Kurosawa's uh, Pulse if you've ever wanted to be more terrified by a woman walking down a hallway. Yeah, it's, it's I, I have a movie for you. It's it's truly wonderful. I and I and bec- based on that, I became a big fan of Kyoshi Kurosawa. Kind of tr- tried to track down some of his other movies. A lot of them are hard to find. Yeah. Um, one of which is this uh, late '80s movie called uh, Sweet Home which was made as it was one of his early movies, obviously mm-hmm. um, he, and he uh, it's basically like a ghost story. It was a, a movie tie in to a video game that was the direct inspiration for resident evil. Mm-hmm. So that's anyway, you can watch that one on YouTube. It's very easy to find, but based on me finding sweet home, I found evil dead trap, which was actually the movie I wanted to talk about, which is uh, it's sort of like, Videodrome by way of, um, it's hard to say like exactly, but it's, it, these people go to this warehouse where they think they've, where they think a snuff film has mm-hmm. been shot and, um, there it's bad stuff is there. There's monsters, there's ghosts, there's evil incarnate at this, in this spot. Um, and there's a lot of really trippy and scary imagery and a lot of really violent deaths <laughs> yeah. like, like out of control violence. And that was, that's uh Japan in the, in the late eighties where it was just like it, horror goes out. Where, where, where along the lines does this fall with like stuff? Cause then it's like, as you move shift into like the nineties, you get stuff more like Tokyo Gore police, which is kind of like where, right. That was kind of, I think, had to be my first real, uh, like, instance of, like, interacting with Japanese horror. Was That was at, like, a Suncoast video yeah. years ago. <laughs> and, like, right, I remember putting on the TV and, like, chainsaw hands and all this stuff going on. But it's, like, so it's, like, probably around the same time as, like, Bullet Man, uh, realistically. This was, I, yeah, I think around the time as, as Tetsuo the Bullet Man. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, or Tesla with the Iron Man was 89. So yeah, that was the yeah, first yeah. one. Um, and yeah, I, I really like that whole, like, cause it's, it's kind of born out of the punk gonzo kind of mm-hmm. style of, of filmmaking where they were just like, you know, kind of the same thing, what was going on here in the, like the earlier eighties, not unlike Sam Raimi and those people where they were just making like crazy violent, like in your face, kind of loud, basically like the noise rock of horror movies. Um, yeah. And when, I mean, a couple of them, certainly Tetsuo, the, 
the Iron Man is is a uh, cacophonous movie to watch, uh, and it's really <laughs> messed up. Evil Dead Trap is a little bit more kind of I won't say like it takes its time a little bit more, and it's mm-hmm. it's a little quieter at times, but like the gore really goes uh, full on. And this is sort of around the same time too that in um, that vi- video was really finding its its footing. And, and people were, you know, if people didn't go see these movies, they would rent them at least. Um, and then yeah. eventually they would just start making them directly on videotape because those were much, you know, cheaper to make. And that's how like, um, the grudge started as, as, uh, video, whatever were they called? They were called video films, which is dumb, but, um, <laughs> shot on video horror releases were, were big at the time. Um, but all over the place. Yeah. So Anyway, Evil Dead Trap is was shot on film, looks really good. Unearthed Films put out a Blu-ray of it recently. It is also streaming on a number of sites. Um, and I would definitely, you know, check it out if you want. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a messed up movie. But if you're into that kind of thing, it's mm-hmm. one of the better ones I've seen. It's one of those kind of like push your... Uh... It, 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 it's uh, one of those, oh, you want to see messed up? You should watch this kind of... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And not and not to the point where it's something like a Serbian film where it's like, oh, there's no, no there's no craft. I mean, there's there's no joy to be had here. At least with something like Evil Dead Trap, you're getting the excitement and scares of like a of a horror movie that really right. takes a big sw- takes some big swings. And it's not it, it, Japan didn't quite do at least. I mean, Tokyo Gore Police is in the realm of that but in hong kong at the same time there were those category three movies uh, like the untold story and like uh um taxi hunter and all these all these wild movies that were specifically made to fall under the category three which was the basically like the x rating or the nc-17 rating in hong kong at the time that were like not just violent but like depraved violence like they would I've release never, them but they'd be uh, look up category three stuff. There's, uh, there's some strange, strange, and some movies that you've absolutely seen that have just happened to have fallen under category three, mm-hmm. like, um, heroic trio, which is just like a fun, weird, oh, I know heroic that's trio. a category three movie, but it's on the lighter side of category three. Whereas untold story is mm-hmm. there's cannibalism. There's the R word. There's like other stuff in there that is, uh, that was just done all the time in those movies. But so anyway, I will say that the, uh, and there was also like uh, the Japanese like guinea pig series, which were like just gross, gross out horror kind of stuff. Again, I'm not into that stuff, but Evil Dead <laughs> Trap is the best of both worlds, I guess. Like the kind of austerity of an actual like horror movie while still having like really gross gore. That <laughs> is fun if you like that stuff. What do I start? All right. Uh, Home stretch. Number four. Number four. Uh- one, I, well, this is the one you hadn't seen, um, Coherence. Yes, which I just watched yesterday as we're, because I it wanted to. A you know. 2012, I think, movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, very, very independent, very uh, small budget uh, because it's all shot in basically one house. Um, but a group of a group of friends all with their own kind of uh, skeletons in their closets. Nothing like, nothing on the level of like a, uh, like a night gallery episode or anything like that. Mm. Uh, all get together for a dinner on the night of a, uh, I believe it's, is it an eclipse? I forget. I haven't seen it. It's a it. comet. It's a comet it's a passing comet. over. That's right. It's a comet uh, on the night of a comet passing by earth or over earth. And 
things start to get weird uh, at the dinner party, not between, not starting, uh, not just with the guests, but like people going away and coming back and, and time starts to be weird and people are starting to, or can't get in touch with others. And there's, it's, it's all very, it's a very tight and condensed movie. I think it's a great, I think it's no longer than like an hour and a half. It cannot be. No, it's really short. Yeah. It's really short. It's really tight. It's kind of like cut with a razor. It's so quick in the way it moves. Uh, and it builds tension. It really gets you guessing. Uh, but it, well, like you take it. You just saw it recently. Let me see what you're like. <laughs> Yeah, I, no, I, 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 I can try and like talk around it without spoiling it, but you had just seen it. So that's your initial thoughts on it. Yeah, this is a movie that falls into two categories for me. One, it's the bougie dinner party where something bad happens, yes. which is a favorite of mine, which I, uh, I had seen it before, but my wife hadn't. So we watched it a few weeks ago. Uh, the Invitation, the Karen, Karen Kusama mm-hmm. movie. Great um, movie. Has that, it's a great movie. A different like premise. <laughs> a vibe yeah um but it had the same a similar thing where it's like a bunch of bougie people get together and then mm. oh no a horror thing um i was the, coherence is very interesting because it's it's um i w- later read that it was almost entirely um uh improvised like all of the lines were just improvised and they would kind of go if they were if the the dialogue or whatever that was getting too far afield, somebody would come in and go, actually, we need you to go do this thing. But it was, mm-hmm. it was much more like, um, uh, they would, they were just as surprised as the audiences for the various things that happened. But the other category it falls into is around this. Uh, a lot of indie movies are conceptual, like science concept horror where yeah. it's like all it, there's no special effects. Not no. very many, anyway. They had, didn't have the money for it, so it's the, what's scary is the performance and the concept of what's happening. And there are some moments in this where I was like legitimately chilled and mm-hmm. unnerved by what was happening, and it's all just kind of the idea that you and your friends are not necessarily who you think they and you are, and yeah. um, they're kind of pushed to pushed to limits because of absurd or kind of out there situations i too don't want to give too much away but it was really um uh it wasn't what i was expecting it to be and then at first i was kind of like is this just mumblecore people talking about stuff (laughs) um it doesn't read as a horror movie you might be watching the beginning of this Mm -hmm. and just go what's scary about this it's another of those like existential kind of deep thought scary things um and yeah but there were definitely some moments where i was like oh like <laughs> oh yeah there's just the, looks on people's faces or you're just like oh my god the the, the when the i'll just say when they go outside oh yeah oh man that's still i'm just like oh okay that yeah. would be so upsetting to encounter oh my god <laughs> and i never thought i would ever see a movie where Ooh. a glow stick would be a terrifying object it's, and yet one of the scariest things in the world. Oh man, good movie. Yeah, it's really good. I'm glad you picked that one because I w- that was not one that had- I'd seen the 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 uh, poster for it on various streaming sites forever. Mm-hmm. Like it had just yeah. been on. For it's also a long just time. such a very like minimalist poster as well. Yeah. Like yeah. I think it's like kind of a blurry shot of the lead actress, and it just says coherence in like very condensed font. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's very minimalist poster. But yeah. Love, loved coherence, went in blind to it one day and just had a blast. 
Yeah. And that's, that's kind of the way you got to do it. Um, number four for me, we're going to go, uh, to Spain, uh, for a 1970 movie called, and it has the great title, who can kill a child. <laughs> um, the worst game show. <laughs> <been on. laughs> um, this was one that I had kind of, it seemed like, Oh, it's kind it seemed kind of, um, and not risky to watch, but like dangerous. Oh, this is a dangerous <laughs> movie. I'd heard kind of rumblings about stuff. It was hard to find initially when I first saw it. Now it's on a very nice Blu-ray, I think from Mondo or somebody put it out. Vinegar Syndrome probably. Yeah, one of those one of those places. <laughs> um, but it was written and directed by uh, Narciso Ibanez Serrador, who is a filmmaker I really like. He was basically the, um, uh, the Spanish Rod Serling. He, mm-hmm. he, he did a, a anthology series called Tales to Keep You Awake. Um, which, uh, is now on Blu-ray as well. Um, and he did a lot of, a lot of television. And then he made a movie, um, called, uh, uh, the house that screamed, which is a kind of Gothic style, you know, girl school that something scary is going on there. Mm-hmm. And then who can kill a child, which is a very almost documentary style at times. Yeah. Um, these, uh, this British couple, um, are on vacation in Spain. Uh, it's uh, Madrid is too crowded. They don't want to be there anymore. The beaches are too crowded. And so somebody goes, well, you know, if you take a boat, there's like a bunch of little islands you can just go check out and um, it's empty and you'll have a nice time and it's just as beautiful. And so they're like, great, let's do that. So they rent a little boat and they go out there and the wife is pregnant, like quite Mm -hmm. pregnant, like she's about to give birth. Um, And I I think it was also kind of a reaction to, because every British people, every British people, all British British people. people. All British people go to holiday in Spain because it's right there <laughs> and it's got nice beaches. Uh, it's less expensive than France. Um, so there's that aspect. So anyway, they go to this little, and it's a, you know, a little rural kind of rugged um, town and there's nobody around. And then they start seeing little kids just kind of running in the streets and everything like that, but there's nobody else around that nothing's open and stuff like that. And eventually they learn that there is some kind of, sickness, disease, whatever that has caused all the kids to go, uh, homicidal and kill all the adults. (laughs) And it, and not only that, but that sickness is spreading. Um, and it is a fascinating and really upsetting movie. Um, where like, you know, you don't necessarily like the couple because they're kind of interlopers. Um, but you do kind of, you know, you understand that they are not the, the villains of the film. No. (laughs) Uh, And yet you're still just like, Oh my God, are they going to have to do this? Because like, like at one point you see pretty early on, I think one of the big, the first big scare moments, there is an older man who has been strung up in the Mm -hmm. town square and the kids are using him as a pinata, except they don't have a stick. They are using a scythe. And so they are like <laughs> slashing him with this like scythe that looks like the Grim Reaper scythe. It, man, I, this movie really um, blew me away. Kind of upset me. It was one of the first movies I wrote about for Nerdist back in twenty gosh twenty eleven or something like that. Like I was really into it back then, and um, it it kind of it it uh, hits just as much nowadays. If you watch the full cut, there is there is actual documentary stuff at the beginning, which shows actual footage of atrocities being done to children. Mm-hmm. I, that might not be everyone's cup of tea and it's 
certainly not mine to see, but it does prove the the further point of the thing, which is that, you know, if you do evil to children, maybe evil children will do evil to you kind of thing. Yeah. But, um, so if you can find the the U.S. cut of it, that cuts that part out, and I think it's a little more palatable for people who don't necessarily want to see actual footage of bad stuff happening. Yeah, it's kind of. I know it's a Spanish movie. It's kind of also around the same time that like you're having your Italian cannibal. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. horror like Cannibal Ferox and uh, the Cannibal Holocaust, which also feels is a fake documentary and feels very documentary through times and it's, and also features a lot of horrible stuff that they just filmed yeah. uh yeah. if you want if you want the uh american version of who could kill a child there's a terrible slasher called beware children at play uh <laughs> you could, that you, could throw, that you could throw on uh and ends with uh it's it's very bad it's a very low quality horror film uh, made by a bunch of people who don't know what they were doing and ends with a whole town of people murdering children in the least uh, well-shot via special effects ways. <laughs> Lord. Uh, <laughs> you know, not all, you know, movies uh, benefit from uh, remakes. Let's just say that. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it, it just seemed like, hey, here's a movie we could remake. And then, mm-hmm. it, and like, without any of the like nuance or kind of thought behind it, um, it does feature what's his face, uh, Eben Moss Bachrock from The Bear. I think he's the lead guy in it. That's the only thing to recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not good. Yeah. Uh, all right, last one for you. Last one for me. So I switched it up. I originally was going to go with the lure. The lure. Sorry, I have a, I'm from New Jersey. Uh, the, the lure. The lure. Uh, L-U-E-R, a uh, uh, Polish, right? No, it's, it's Polish. Hold on. Oh, what is it? It might be Polish. Uh, Probably wants to say it's Russian, but it's from, it's a 2015 film. No, it is. Uh... Yeah, it is Polish. It's a it's Polish. Polish yeah. uh, Polish musical horror movie about mermaids uh, who work at a nightclub and sing uh, and eat people. And I'm not going to say uh, it's it's a super came out about almost 10 years ago now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's weird, violent. It has really great musical numbers. It's kind of just it's one of those movies that puts so much of everything from film into it because you have your your performance numbers you have your horror scenes you have your practical effects you have your just regular character arcs it's just there's so much crammed into this movie and it's so (laughs) it all works and kyle hasn't seen it so i'm trying not to give too much away uh but it is a fun fun time and just one of those movies you just like you you'll probably end up be like well that was ridiculous but i had a great time (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I I do want to see it. It's on um, Criterion. Just put it on yeah, the, the channel for the Cri- month. So it has it has a physical Criterion release. So if you're if you're a Criterion fan and you want to track this movie down, there is a there is a physical version of it for you. Uh, but no, that's not the one I'm going with. Um, I was like start <laughs> talking about like I was going to go with the lure, uh, but that's <laughs> not what I'm going with. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, Catherine Bigelow's Near Dark um yeah i forgot what you're talking about yeah it's my pick and i know a lot of people have probably seen this movie and i know a lot of people have not seen this movie because this movie is like notoriously hard to watch 
uh, or at least has been over the past 10 something years. It's been difficult. To, it's like not on any streaming service really, or at least it wasn't for a long time. Yeah. Uh, it, the only, the only Blu-ray release you could get of it was a few years back and it has art on it that is so clearly inspired by Twilight, uh, that it's like, should almost feels like it's fraud. Like <laughs> <laughs> true. Uh, but near dark is Catherine Bigelow's, I think second movie. Or is this her first? I, uh, I'll have to, I'll look that up while you talk. Yeah. Catherine Bigelow, director of, uh, K-19, the Widowmaker, um, the Hurt Locker, uh, point break. Why did you start with K-19, the Widowmaker? Because I literally was watching it the other night. Okay. <laughs> I, I have K-19, I have I have Widowmaker on the brain, sorry. <laughs> a movie I've never okay. seen before, but I was like, I, I, was like I should watch K-19 the Widowmaker. I was like, oh, they're all doing Russian accents, this is a choice. Uh, but incredible director, um, I, but Near Dark is a, a grim and upsetting western that just happens to have vampires in it instead of uh, regular criminals. Uh, Adrian Pasdar, who you might know from Heroes, <laughs> that's yeah. the the best I could put out there is uh, just some hick in a small town who goes out one night with friends, uh, tries to hit on a girl, and turns out that she's a vampire who bites him, uh, and then he gets picked up by the crew of vampires that this young woman is uh, traveling with, and violence ensues. Uh, as Adrian Pastar is then trying to either escape or come to terms with becoming a vampire while surrounded by a group of absolutely disgusting criminals featuring. And it's the, the thing that's great about this is it has a lot of aliens crossover mm -hmm. uh, because Bigelow was, I believe still was married at the time. Yeah. I don't know if they were dating yeah, or so. if they were married at the time, uh, but was in a relationship at, of some kind with James Cameron uh, and so you get uh, this movie features Lance Henriksen, who is Bishop in Aliens. It features Vinette, uh, Jeanette Goldstein, who is Vasquez in Aliens, and also Bill Paxton, who is uh, I forget his uh, Hudson uh, Hudson uh, in Aliens. So you get the the Aliens uh, trio uh, hanging out in this movie, and they all play horrible, horrible vampires. Um, and the thing that I love about this movie is how gross they all are. Yeah. All of the vampires in this are just disgusting. Like they're all sleazy, violent. None of them have any romanticism about them. Like Bill Paxton's character specifically is so gross and and uncharming and except for the scene where he does dress up in a nicer shirt is very funny <laughs> to go yeah. hitchhiking. That's a very fun gag, but it is a uh, a great dirty little kind of grindhouse feeling uh, vampire movie that has vampires using guns. That's the other thing too, is they use firearms in this. They just all carry revolvers and pistols with them and they drive around in a camper that is covered in tinfoil and garbage bags to keep the sun out. Uh, and it's kind of, it's, it's been notoriously hard to find on, uh, streaming services it'll pop up every now and again on something but for the most part i don't think it has a recent blu-ray release of any kind or any kind of 4k restoration uh i think the last uh, i have a d 
DVD of it from years ago, but the last Blu-ray, mm. I think I said, came out, they released it probably around the time that Twilight was big, because if you look at the cover, Adrian Pastar is almost painted like a white, shimmery white to look like Edward Cullen, which nothing about this movie is anything even close to in common with Twilight other than the word vampire. Which I don't know if yeah. they even ever... Oh, no, they, Lance Henriksen definitely says vampire at one point, I feel like. I was going to say, yeah. I don't even know if they ever say vampire in the movie. I can't remember. Um, what I think is really fascinating about this movie is because you're absolutely right. It's like they are so gross and they're 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 bottom feeders. They're you know they're <laughs> in the middle of the desert, which is a terrible place to be if you can't be outside in the daytime. Yeah, like um, they don't they're they're gross. They're dirty. They're whatever. They you know just destroy people when they when they feed like just absolutely yeah. annihilate them. And I think it's really funny that this movie came out the exact same year. I don't know the, the actual like dates, but it came out the same year as the lost boys, mm-hmm. which is another one. That's like, Hey, vampires are punk and cool and yeah. stuff like that. And that one is so much more glossy <laughs> and, and, like, so much more too. Yeah. <laughs> and so like sexier, you know, like all the yeah. vampires are like, Oh, it's so hot to be a vampire and all this stuff. Obviously they have, you know, a uh, shirtless, glistening sax man in that movie mm-hmm. and um, just jason patrick being dreamy yeah exactly keeper sutherland 80s keeper sutherland being dreamy alex yeah. winter's there too but that to me feels like like that's the biker gang in the upper crust northern california yes, town exactly. whereas near dark is the actual <laughs> biker gang um the, and the, yeah the upper crust santa clara fake yeah California town biker gang also has a dad who runs a video store on the boardwalk. <laughs> yeah. Where, where, yeah, the vampires in Near Dark are all clearly some type of criminals who have lived a long time. Yeah. Uh, I think, like, even like the kid in the group is supposed to be the oldest of them, and he's the most foul mouthed and upsetting of them all. Uh, I forget the actor who plays the child who was turned into a vampire, but he's great. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it definitely got kind of, I think, washed over by Lost Boys, which is the more glossier, has big like music numbers, has mm-hmm. has the the Corys are in it, uh, which was a big right. deal at the time. Jason Patrick, and in this, it's like, oh, who's who are your leads? It's like Adrian Pastar, and uh, no one has any fun in this movie, and anything that's even promoted, kind of put out as like romantic, is actually just gross. Yeah, because there is. It's just drunk dudes hitting on women. There is sort of like a love story going on between Adrian Pazdar and and the the woman vampire who bites him, but it's like Mm -hmm. they it's it's like ugh, I just didn't want to kill you. I thought you were cute, and he's like, thanks a lot, man. Now I'm like doomed. Um, yeah, it's it's a like in the best way. Everyone in this movie is miserable. (laughs) Yeah, everyone is miserable in this movie. I remember watching that one in college being like, there's not a ton of blood. I mean, there's a lot of blood in it, but it's like, mm-hmm. this isn't what I was expecting at all. But now no. as, as I've gotten older, it's like, there's, you know, the elements of the Western to it. There's an element of like, just kind of, you know, um, drifters. Like that's essentially yeah. what this gang of vampires are. Um, it's, it's by far the better film. It's less fun, but it's a better movie. I think. Yeah. Last one for you. Last one for me. We have <laughs> the one that um, Adam made sure to watch 
before we talked about this and he said earlier that he still doesn't know what it's about i'm still not entirely sure what happened in this movie okay so we have to talk about an italian horror movie and we have to talk about one that i think is so weird um you can watch it online you watch it on Mm -hmm. youtube there's Uh, several different versions there is a region b blu-ray uh recent uh, blu-ray which is actually quite good you you may also be able to find it on blu-ray in uh north america under its worst title which is revenge of the dead um but the movie's actual title is zader z-e-d-e-r and it was written and directed by a a guy who's i'm gonna say his name and it's silly but it's not spelled this way his name is poopy avati um and he is uh he only made a few movies he was a kind of a contemporary kind of uh um collaborator of pier paolo pasolini so it's like a little more upper crust. And uh, he made an earlier uh, like mid seventies Jallo movie called the house with the laughing windows, which is even harder to find, but I, it is, I found it. It must be on YouTube somewhere because I have seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really like that one too. But um, Zader is sort of a, uh, it's, it's zombies by way of like um, the rich people cabal, I guess. Like mm-hmm. the idea is that, there are these zones throughout the world, which are called K zones, um, which uh, if you bury, th- it's basically like there are zones that are pet cemeteries where like yeah. <laughs> you can put dead things in there and it will come back to life, but they come back to life. Not good. And um, unlike, these- unlike every other trope where you right. bury something and it comes back to life and it's better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, this is exactly what I wanted. I can play piano now. <laughs> um, and it, and this guy, to the detriment of his relationship and everything, decides mm-hmm. that he needs to get to the bottom of these K-zones and everything about this, uh, and that all revolve around this scientist named Zader, who found this out. And there are there you know it it is a strange strange film the um the score is very like in your face and and oppressive especially at the at the end too there's parts of the score that sound like you're about to fight a really hard boss in a super nintendo game like you're like oh shit i didn't i don't have enough lives to make this work like there's some really heavy score parts that come in you're like wow yeah and it's like very disjointed but it's like like it's a very strange um meter as well um but basically it's 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 like millhouse playing bone storm is like the feeling (laughs) yeah um but it's this weird mystery that ends up being kind of supernatural and like i said it was it's like apocalyptic in a in a it, it feels oppressive the entire yeah. movie you're like it gives you this unease and there's a whole sequence and i don't want to give too much away but like the the richos who are trying to figure out how to make these things work set up these closed circuit tv cameras of dead people who have been buried and there's just footage of dead mm-hmm. people and then at one point one of them comes back to life and just starts cackling into this into the camera because it worked and it's just like it's like flatliners meets like pet cemetery meets cemetery man like it's meets a ve- society yeah meets society yeah because it's all it's this this like like i said cabal of rich people so um there's an element too of like 
I won't say Wicker Man, but like Rosemary's Baby too, where it's like, yeah. we're all in in this. We're going to get it. You know, like this is going to be us. And like, um, there's nowhere to run because mm-hmm. the conspiracy stretches so far and everything like that. So this far is by far the, the weirdest of the movies. Yeah, go ahead. No, it's, it's, uh, he really does put himself in this position for no other reason than to just like, <laughs> caught, got caught up in it and decided not to step away. Yeah. Uh, there, there's, there are long stretches where I'm just like, I was, what is he, why is he doing this? <laughs> it's like, yeah. there's a lot of the questions I was having. Um, it, it has some really upsetting imagery too. Like you're like, for some reason, something for me that always upsets me and I don't like seeing it in movies, even if I know it's coming. Uh, there's only like a few instances where I laugh at it, but like someone opening their eyes when someone is like supposed to be dead or anything like that, like their eyes opening always really affects me. I don't know why. The only mm. time I know it doesn't, scare me is when bob uh 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 he just passed away uh price is right bob barker bob barker when bob barker's eyes open in happy gilmore uh <laughs> <laughs> um but seeing that the guy slowly and they got what a fantastic actor they picked for that yeah tackling scene because he has maybe three teeth in his mouth mm-hmm. <laughs> uh just some older man that they said, you look enough like a corpse that we can put you on camera Um, (laughs) and shot through terrifying, like closed circuit TV. Yeah. uh, In an age where like, you don't get this really much anymore, but like when you would film closed circuit TVs on film, it created such a more ghostly, weird, upsetting effect. Um, Like a really good use of this is in uh, Prince of Darkness. Um, oh for sure yeah there's actually a lot of similarities i hadn't thought about that but you're absolutely right there's a lot it feels a lot like it has a lot of the same kind of like similarities like you're saying but like prince of darkness the dream sequences she keeps having throughout the movie where you see the person standing in the doorway of the church with the lights behind them and it looks like it's a newscast was they filmed that and then played it on a tv and then they just filmed the tv yeah, uh, that's and that's something we kind of lose now with now with everything is digital and you, there's no such thing as static on TVs anymore, really. Um, no, this this the the older woman just sitting in complete shadow in the room for that one whole scene uh, was one of the creepier things I've seen in a minute. Uh, loved that whole setup. That's the so much of this. Uh, it falls into. And this isn't a negative. This is just, I guess, how some of these movies go. You're saying they're hard to the to comprehend sometimes, where you're just like, okay, who are these people, and how are these people involved? And they don't really give right. much. Uh, the thing I do really like about this movie, like you're saying, it feels apocalyptic. There's like no one in this movie. Like he's like, there's they're in cities, they're in full buildings, like, and it's just like empty. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if they just shot at weird times of the day or if it was something they meant to do, but like so much of this movie just feels like empty and like creepily empty. Like, why is there no one bustling around really? Why is like this movie is basically like four people and half the time he's just like searching around woods and you're just like, where is humanity right. in some way? Like, it's just this one guy and his wife. Uh, and it, just, it, it it's one of those things where it's kind of like the same thing with Possession. Um, mm. for anyone who's ever seen Possession, uh, Possession focuses most mainly on two people in a city that should be bustling with life and bustling right. with 
everyday things and you just are feel trapped and kind of uh isolated with these two people who are slowly losing their minds which this has a lot of that too where you're just like why is this so hollow like where is any type of like there's no like it feels like you there's usually some kind of support system or something and even that feels like empty and broken in this movie yeah uh and who knows that might just be for budgetary reasons but it works <laughs> it feels so much more deliberate um it's not just because we've all we've you and i and probably you listening to have seen like low budget indie movies where you do not have the money to pay extras so you just don't no. have any and it just mm-hmm. and like masters of the universe is a good example where it's like they put so much money into special effects that they did not have any money for extras and so there are just streets that are just empty in yeah. los angeles <laughs> it, does, yeah. it makes absolutely no sense whereas this feels like oh no they're just alone like mm-hmm. and like as he digs deeper you start to feel like oh this conspiracy has has reached so far that like it's already too late kind of thing and yeah it's it's that really upsets me. Like that kind of element of, of again, it's like cosmic horror and, and existential horror has really like seeped its way into uh, being the thing that scares me the most um, in terms of like fake, you know, uh, real stuff scares me plenty, but like in terms of like fictional horror, like that stuff, just because it's so kind of cerebral um, Mm -hmm. and also being really base at the same time, like, you know, uh, just zombies crawling out of the grave like that is actually scary on a on a visceral gut level but mm-hmm. also the idea of these rich people trying to become zombies so to that they live forever yeah. it's messed up it's really and the the visuals of like you're saying all the cameras of the close circuit tvs of all these dead people is really a kind of otherworldly just upsetting yeah. Uh, I don't know what they did for the te- the the cameras they were using, but just the color and the everything, the lighting and the way it's presented. Good movie. Good. I, I should watch it again and try and comprehend where certain things make left turns uh, that I wasn't really paying attention to at certain times, which <laughs> will, will happen every now and again with an Italian horror movie. You can't. That's yeah. not on you. That's not so much on you. <laughs> that's and because they were so most of and poopy avati is like a good writer it's not like it's but like that's the choice was to be as strange and sparse and kind of unknowable as possible whereas there are other movies where they just are incomprehensible and yes no it wasn't on purpose um the the beyond we're not not saying like the beyond makes sense the beyond makes absolutely zero sense there's no reason for that redheaded child to be in that morgue but (laughs) hey she was uh very bizarre (laughs) But it's great. It's a wonderful, wonderful uh, movie. So uh, let uh, to quickly recap all these movies in case you weren't mm-hmm. writing them down. And why would you? Um, Adams were one in no particular order. One Cut of the Dead, Near Dark. Um, I didn't write them down. What are your other ones? <laughs> uh, one Cut of the Dead, Burn Near offerings. Dark, Burn Offerings, and Exorcist 3. That's my highest recommendation is Exorcist 3. I always love recommending Exorcist 3. Um, mine were the empty man, uh, evil dead trap, Zader, who can kill a child and ghost stories. So if you want to watch any of these movies, uh, hopefully, I think most of them are streaming somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, we will not point you in any di- given direction because, uh, the actors are still striking as we record this. So we don't want to give anybody, uh, extra money, but if you already have yeah. these streaming services, please 
uh, find them. There's a, it's a long <laughs> month. So if you're looking for, you know, what am I going to watch this Halloween season? Um, I think these are great examples. Thank you so much for joining me, Adam. This was exactly yeah. what I expected, which is a rambly talk about old horror movies. Yes. That's I, I it's uncle corner. Uh, <laughs> it's always, Hey, you like this yeah. old movie? You should watch this old movie. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, but yeah, ha- happy to, happy to be here. I, I'm the one who pitched out like, cause we could have done any number of, Oh, for sure. And been, uh, gone way too long. So I was like, let's do all, not, uh, ones that are not super popular that that more mm-hmm. people should say and so i if, and if these were if these were too mainstream for you i'm sorry you can get out yeah no. i don't know what to apologize for no um yeah so hope hopefully you enjoy it um again you got more horror stuff coming all this month mm-hmm. i love love horror love talking about it very excited for everyone to uh have a great time this uh this halloween season putting up, um, putting up the spider webs on the stage very soon Yes, I can't wait. And I have, I have horror. I bought horror themed T-shirts to wear for videos. So <laughs> perfect. I'm really going for it. Um, all right, Adam. Do, uh, do you want to plug anything, or do you have anything? Yeah, you wanna... uh, uh, maybe if you're listening to this, Assassin Academy on our channel is out. Uh, yeah, went out this week. Uh, I think this week. Is that going? Is this going out on Thursday? This is going on Thursday. Yeah. Oh yeah. Then uh, yeah, Assassin Academy is out on our YouTube channel. Uh, go go watch that. Fantastic. Yeah, Adam Adam directed that, and it uh, the bits I've seen are super cool, and that of course has to do with uh, Assassin's Creed. So, um, yeah, you follow me. Uh, actually, follow both of us. We're both on Letterboxd. If you're yeah, into these we're movies, both on Letterboxd. And... That's the my main social social media source, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, nowadays I'm I'm definitely nowadays. not on anything else. No. <laughs> um, uh, Kyle underscore Anderson is my handle on that. I don't know if you remember your handle offhand. I don't. You'll 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 find me. I don't know. Go to mine, look up followers, <laughs> and then you'll find Adam on there. I'm done plugging myself. I guess I reached that age. I guess I'm I just like it. I don't know. I don't care anymore. <laughs> find me if you have to. Exactly. <laughs> All right, folks, thanks so much for listening to Laser Focus. Uh, Join me again next week when my guest will be a different person. Bye-bye. Laser Focus is a production of Nerdist Industries and Legendary Digital Networks. It was produced, edited, and hosted by me, Kyle Anderson. For more, visit Nerdist.com. Nerdist.com.